Amen. You can be seated. And hey, let me tell you what we're about to do. What, what I'm going to try to do, all right, is I'm going to try to hurry up and uh, get through the sermon so that we can come here, because this is what we're doing today. We're coming to worship the Lord through this beautiful sacrament called communion. And if you're a first-timer and you've never been here, don't worry, we'll walk you through how we do it here. Uh, you won't be left out in the cold guessing. But uh, we've been studying for the last, well, probably six to eight weeks, we've been studying this, this book called Nehemiah, which is this small book in the Old Testament. And it's, it's a book about leadership. It's a book about a man who was called by God to go on a mission for God to accomplish a very specific purpose, which was to go back to the city of Jerusalem, which had suffered decay and the, the walls were torn down, the gates were burned because the people were overrun and they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and the Persian Empire came in and overtook the Babylonians. And now the Persian emperor is sending a guy named Nehemiah back to the city, or really God is sending Nehemiah back to rebuild the city. So we've been studying about rebuilding the wall, the gates. Does this sound familiar to you guys? You with me? All right. Okay, good. So where we're at in the story now, and we're going to finish this up before Advent, is that Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall, he's rebuilt the gates, now he's in the process of rebuilding the people. And let me ask you a question. What do you think is more difficult? Is it more difficult to change the condition of a broken wall than it is to change the, posi the, the position of a broken person? Like, what's easier to change, a wall or a person? Wall. Yeah, because we all know that change is hard. Matter of fact, most of us would say that we've never experienced any of change. Like, some of us have even given up on change. And it's a curious thing, because when you think about change, we all want change. I mean, think about it. Have you ever wanted to lose weight? You wanted change. Or have you ever wanted to stop smoking? That's hard. Take it for somebody who knows. It is hard. Like, have you ever decided you're going to change your spending habits? Oh, Lord, help us. That's almost impossible that you're going to save instead of spend. You know, Dave Ramsey now has my soul. Give me an envelope. You know, like that's, that's hard to do. Or if maybe you're going to stop cussing, like you're going to change your behavior. Or this is a great one. Like, I am going to be a more thankful person. Have you ever thought that? Or have you ever thought that for the person you're married to? They need to be a more thankful person. And so you give them a thankful journal that every day stop and write something you're thankful for in. The centerpiece of all this, like, and when we talk about change, at the center of all of it is me. In fact, when we start thinking about change, we, we not only want to change it for me, I believe the power of change is in me. Let me try to explain that because Nehemiah is about to show us that's not true at all. But we live like this is true. Like when we want to make a change, we do this thing. We make a deal with ourselves. Or we make a resolution. Or we resolve that there's going to be some change in my life. Like one of the things... I love ice cream. I just, Amen. yes, it's just, <laughs> ice cream's so spiritual. It's just, I don't know. It's like, I just think that that's what heaven's going to be like, is just rocky road. But you know, let me tell you, if you eat ice cream every night, something happens to you, which you may not like. It changes your output on the world. <laughs> but if I decide I'm going to quit eating ice cream, I make a deal with myself. And the deal is, I'm going to quit eating ice cream. 
And so in that deal, I start making, I create strategies, or I'm gonna start running. And so you go and you buy a $200 pair of shame shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Those shoes that you swear, I'm not gonna wear those unless I'm running. And then you're wearing them to Home Depot, and now you're wearing them to work, and they're just crying out to you, you have not run on me. Shame shoes, run, run. So we got this whole deal going on with all our strategies, and so we try. And I want you to know that the human spirit is beautiful because when most of you try, you, you really try hard. And that's important because it's gonna get harder. And as we try and we keep trying more and more, something happens on this journey of me being the source of power to change my life. We fail. And here's a weird thing when failure happens in our lives, when we've made a deal with ourselves, this thing called shame starts to create and it makes us begin to question ourselves. It makes us start to feel guilty that we're the kind of person that doesn't have the power to actually bring change in our lives. It starts having us compare ourselves to other people. And we always compare ourselves when we're in shame. We always compare ourselves to the people that seem to effortlessly do the very thing that I'm trying to create change in my own life about. And then this shame does a weird kind of thing. The shame finally gets me back to right here. I'm going to make a deal with myself. And this time, this cycle of change where I'm at the center, Nehemiah is saying that's death. So we're going to study the book of Nehemiah because there are things in our lives that we really need to deal with. It's not ice cream. We have sin in our lives. Sin in our lives that we need to deal with and we need to change. Some of you struggle with sexual sins. Let's just be honest in a room like this. Some of you, lust has gotten out of control in your life. It has spilled over the banks of the acceptable river that God has given you for your sexual desires. And it's bringing destruction in your life. It's, it's sabotaging your conscience when you're even sitting here. The emotions that you may be feeling, even when I bring that up. Some of you, you're consumed with greed. That you really believe that the purpose of your life is to get more. And you're in this endless pursuit of looking at all the things that you want and all the things you're doing to get there. And it's consuming your life. Some of you are consumed with pride. You literally believe that you're better than other people. And you believe that your views in life, they're, they're so perfectly right that anybody that doesn't have your view, you write them off. Whether the way they drive a car or whether they vote in a way that you don't vote, or whether they take care of themselves in a way that you don't take care of yourselves, like whatever it may be, some of you are consumed with pride, and it keeps you from relationships, and it blinds you, because shame and pride are the same coin. They're just different sides. As some would say that shame is just pride's cloak. It's just pride. Some of you are so angry that you look the way that you look because you're so prideful that you believe that you have the right to look better than you look. Well, that's a whole nother sermon. Let's just stop there. No, let's keep going. Some of you struggle with envy. Some of you have left the land of contentment because you spend so much of your life comparing yourself to other people. And in that comparison, you, you covet what other people have, what other people look like, what other people's gifts are, what other people's houses are, what other people's cars are, what other people's lifestyles are, what other people's intelligent level is. And you so covet other people's lives that you have left the land of contentment, meaning there is nothing in your life you want. 
You don't want, that's contentment is I want what I have. I want who I am. I want who God has made me to be. And you've left that place and sin has deceived you and is bringing you to a place of destruction. So how do we fight this war? How do we enter into a place where we actually see change in our lives? And we actually, we confront the sin that so easily entangles us and deceives us. Well, two weeks ago, we talked about this. That there is something more powerful at the center of our lives as those that follow Christ than me. It's the Lord. And the Lord says, what is going to be your strength? The joy of the Lord. And what is the joy of the Lord? Hebrews. Jesus, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. And what is the joy? You. At the center of change is the joy the Lord has in you, that you are joyed over. And the depth in which you will embrace that and the depth in which you will experience that is the depth in which you're going to experience change. You believe me? Hmm. Let's see. Well, let's go. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Do I have a reader this morning? Oh, please come forward all the way from the back. Come on up, sister. Repent. Come on forward. The buses will wait. So we're in chapter 9, and we're starting in verse 1, and then we're going to read three verses, and then we're going to jump one through three, and then we're going to jump all the way to the end of the chapter. Here's what I want you to hear. So what had happened was Nehemiah, they'd finished the wall, the gates. They'd called everybody back together for worship. They started reading the book of the law, Ezra the prophet, and people were crushed by it. And Nehemiah said, whoa, 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 stop, stop. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Y'all go celebrate. Go celebrate the joy of the Lord. And so they, they had this festival, the booths, the festival of booths for seven days. And then they came back, and they're coming back for a time of repentance. And what I want you to hear in this passage they were repenting of their sin, but they were also repenting and crying out to God because of the fruit of their sin. You with me? Okay. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sath cloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read the book of the law of the Lord and their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we come to uh, this scripture, would you prepare us for this table? And Lord, by your grace, would you, Lord, um, by your Holy Spirit, would you do what I cannot do? I cannot convince anybody of any truth that's lasting. I can't say anything that will change people's lives. But Holy Spirit, you are in the business of changing lives. You're in the business of bringing people from death to life. And we pray you would do that. And let us taste the power of your redemption at this table today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Nehemiah knew that a part of transformation in the lives of these people and transformation in the lives of this community um, was not just knowing the joy of the Lord, but also repentance. And so people are coming together, and listen to this. They were fasting. 
they had changed the way they were dressed. They were wearing sackcloths. And then they had put dust on their heads, which really was a symbol of, of just humbling themselves before the Lord. This wasn't just repentance. This was like serious repentance. Like, this is serious. Like, when was the last time you repented like that? Like, can you remember the last time you did intermittent fasting so you could lose weight? No, I'm joking. Do you remember the last time you fasted? Like, for the Lord, because you were so overwhelmed by your own sin and your own need for God's grace in your life. Or the time that you changed the way that you dressed or even lowered yourself and humble position before the Lord. And we see this picture of this. And it's not just they're humbling themselves before the Lord. Look in verse 36. He says, but we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave us. Like this is our home. And in our home, we are slaves because of our sin. Even our harvest now goes to a king that's not us. So they're, they're prisoners and slaves in their own land. They're suffering the consequences of their sin, and they're crying out to God. So we have to ask the question, what's the big deal? Come on. I mean, seriously. I mean, is repentance and confession really, like, does that really have to be a part of our lives? Like, does that really got to be a part of Midtown, like, or this community here, is that really a part of healing? Well, let me say something that maybe would help us put this in context. Sin has touched every life in this room. You're all sinners and you've fallen short of the glory of God, every one of you. And you've not been just touched by your sin. Boy, if we had time, we could go around the room and say, tell me how the sins of your parents has touched your life. Tell me about the sins of your grandparents. We wouldn't have time today to confess the sins, not only the sins that we've done, but also the sins that have been done to us. In fact, the truth is, if, if we don't deal with sin, a couple things are going to happen. If you don't deal with sin in your own life, sin is going to deal with you. I mean, think about it. Think about what happens if you decide that selfishness and self-centeredness was going to be a normal lifestyle for you. That when you entered life, everything that you were going to ask is what's good for me first. There's no sacrificial bone in your body. There's no laying yourself down for the good of other people. There's none of this, man, I am going to limit my life so that I can move toward you and give you my limit. None of that. Do you think selfishness would have a fruit in your life? Or do you think that it would have a fruit in other people's lives? The second thing is, if you don't deal with sin, it's going to deal with you. But if you don't deal with sin, you force everybody around you to deal with your sin. If you are immensely selfish, how do you think that's going to affect your spouse? You're forcing them now to deal with your selfishness. Can I get an amen? amen. And thank you, spouses. Because <laughs> every one of you is married to a selfish person. That means your spouse is married to you too, remember. So let's talk about repentance. And how is repentance a part of change? Well, first, let me just state some things that maybe you already know. I'm not talking about penance. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, cutting deals with God to where, hey, I'll whip my back, you know, like in some movie, and I'll, you know, crawl on glass to prove to you that I'm worthy of being forgiven. That's not repentance. We're not talking about... Uh, doing something horrible, we're talking about walking into something that's beautiful. 
Because the first thing that we have to remember, gang, we are forgiven. When Christ went to the cross, he took all my sins with him to the cross. He took every one of them, all my past sins, my present sins, even my future sins were all taken to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. In Hebrews chapter 10, this is verse 4, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We are made perfect. The slate is clean. He has washed as pure as snow. He's thrown my sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no, no more. And because Jesus dealt with sin at the cross, he also dealt with what sin does to my relationship with God. Sin separates me from God. But since I've been completely forgiven, God is not separated from me anymore. This whole idea that penance is trying to get God back into my life, because when I sin, you know, God kind of leaves the room. It's like when you go, you know, growing up, I was told by the church R-rated movies were a sin. I know, seriously. And so when we went to go see the movie, we always felt God kind of stayed out where the popcorn was because no way God would come into an R-rated movie, right? And so when we sin, God's way over there. He's like, ooh, I'm out. You know, woo, y'all are going a little bit too far. And so God kind of gets away. And then when we realize the next morning, oh, Lord, I went to an R-rated movie. What was I thinking? And you look around and you go, where's God? I got to get him back. How am I going to get God back? God. And so what do we do? We make penance. And what is penance? I swear to you, God, I'll never do that again. Watch. And we think this disgruntled, upset God kind of slowly moves back to us. That's not repentance. Because if God has already forgiven me, God doesn't leave the room. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He goes before me. He comes behind me. I am always in his favor. I am his, not because of what I've done or what I've not done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. In fact, if we had time today, we'd talk about how Scripture says that when, when we become believers, we now get moved into the place of Jesus. And that has significance to it, because when the Father sees the Son, the Son is in a position of favor because he is the son of the living God, perfect in every way, without sin. And because of the cross and the power of the resurrection, I get moved into this position with Christ. So when Father sees me, he sees me in the position of Christ. Wow. That's the joy of the Lord. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. When I understand that, now it allows me to walk into what repentance really is. Hang on. Scary. First, I got to tell you this. Repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the currency I use in God's gift shop that I go in and buy stuff, you know? Repentance is something the Holy Spirit brings to me. You can read Acts chapter 5, verse 31, Acts 11, verse 18, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if repentance is a gift, repentance is doing something for us as a gift from God. Returning us back to our sanity. See, because sin always whispers promises to me. Every one of them. And what it's doing is it's mimicking the promises of God. Because God says, I promise to give you everything you need for life and godliness. I will give you life to the full. Money makes the same promise, but it's a liar. Sex makes the same promise, but it's a liar. Greed makes the same promise, but it's a liar. Murder makes the same promise, but it's a liar. Stealing makes the same promise, but it's a liar. 
And here's the tragedy of it. When I go down the road of lesser gods and begin to trust them to give me life to the full and they don't deliver, repentance returns me back to the sanity of the joy of the Lord. I'm coming back to the one that gives me life. That's why a good friend of mine, Krista Coleus, who died last year, I'm going to quote her. She said, it is the love that calls us away from those things that don't give us life. It's a sweet sorrow. It's a painful, joyful morning. Why? Because it wakes us up to what we've given our heart to, which is sad and painful and mourning, but it's joyful because it also draws us to the one that gives us life. So how do we do that? Well, <clears throat> let me take you through a little process of repentance, gospel-centered repentance that I think might help you. The first is RHI which is a ruthless, honest inventory. Where do you sin? So think about it. Where do you sin? Where is sin in your life? Where do you find that you have sin in your life? Is it pride? Like we talked about before, is it greed? Is it selfishness? Is it a sexual sin? Is it a relational sin? Is it a personal sin? Where is it? In, Re in Revelation chapter 3, this is one of the letters that Jesus writes to the church. And he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Do you know the places in your life where you're dead? Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Do you know where you need to repent? Where death has crept into your life. And you've let it take up house there. So, uh, three years ago, Renee and I decided that we were going to gut our house. We bought this house like 15 years ago. And we're going to gut it. We're going to renovate it. We're going to get on the Nashville train. And... Uh, so we got this construction loan, you know, and it was great because it's a line of credit. If you're not familiar with this, it's a line of credit, and you just, you just spend it, you know? And so we moved out of the house into an apartment and had a pool, which was a disaster because the pool was like 21-year-old spring break pool. It was horrible. Like, I, I couldn't just go down there and chill. It was like, anyway, this is a whole other story, rabbit trail, sorry, all right? <clears throat> and uh, so... When you write your first check on your home improvement or your construction loan, that's when your loan begins, and you have to make payments on that. I didn't realize that. And our mail was coming to a house we weren't living in anymore. And the woman who was our banker called me about two months into it and said, hey, Randy, you've missed two payments on your construction loan. And I'm like, what? What? And let me tell you what happened. She goes, uh, this is what you owe the bank. And I said, no problem. Hey, I'll be over there. I, I'm in the neighborhood. I'll come by in 10 minutes. She goes, yeah, that's great. Go ahead and bring that check by. But there are consequences. This has compromised your credit. And uh, we can't refinance your loan after the construction's over. My plan was... Hey, we're going to rebuild our home, 
and then we were going to combine everything into one loan under this low interest rate, and we were going to just sail into heaven. I had my whole plan worked out, you know? Uh, I lost it. Like, I'm talking to this banker, and I get angry. And I start to question everything about how they do this, everything about the way they did this, everything that I got myself in this position, and I took it out on her. She got silent. That was the end of the phone call. Ruthless, honest inventory. Always ask that question right there. Because let me tell you what confession could have looked like. Hey, God, I'm just so sorry for getting angry because I know anger is a sin. Like, that's not a good emotion, right? And so please forgive me for that. And the Lord said, yeah, why did you get angry? And this is where it takes a ruthless, honest heart. See, something got triggered in me the moment she said, we're not going to be able to do it the way you want to do it. I grew up in a home where there wasn't anything. And I still have this scarcity mindset. I'm waiting for the day where it's all going to fall out and we're going to be left with nothing. In fact, I find myself easily trying to hedge my bet everywhere I can to make sure that that doesn't happen. In fact, I begin to really start thinking about God as my father, almost just like the way I think about my heavenly father was when he was alive. And here's what I began to think. I'm not real sure, God, that you want to take care of me. In fact, I'm not really sure, and I'm almost positive, that you don't make all things work out for the good. And I don't really believe that you're for me. In fact, get to this, I don't believe you. I have no faith in you. This is who I have faith in. Woo! Why was I getting angry? Because the God I put my trust in had let me down. And God said, confess that. It's not just the sins that I see. The question is, do you know why you do the sins that you commit? Are you courageous enough to go there? Because if you'll go there, let me tell you what begins to happen. The second thing we do when we, when we now answer the why question, we confess. We confess the root of the night your hand was heavy on me my strength was zapped as in the heat of summer why because the holy spirit is coming after me and he's coming after me going do you know why go to the deeper sin here not just your anger but why are you angry because you don't trust me you don't believe me then i acknowledged my sin you're right god i don't believe you i don't trust you help my unbelief i acknowledge my sin to you and you didn't cover up my, my inequities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of all my sin. We confess, but confession is not just enough, okay? Because we're so prone to shame. When we confess our sins, church, we have to then disown it. We have to put it down. What do I mean by that? It's when the Lord forgives me, I have to accept his forgiveness receive his forgiveness. 
Because here's what happens when I go, Lord, here's the guilt of my sin. And the Lord goes, it's covered. I forgive you. He'll go, now stand up and walk like a forgiven man. You are free. And what does that walking like a forgiven man look like? Me getting on the phone and calling that banker. I have sinned against you. Not, hey, man, I just wasn't nice to you on the phone. I have sinned against you, and I'm calling to ask you to forgive me. That was way out of line. The way I treated you was so unfair. And if you want to talk about why I did that, I'm happy to share that with you. But I just need from you your forgiveness. It was awesome. God restored our relationship. She lowered my interest rate by 2%. (laughs) Godliness is a means of great gain. Trust me, all right? (laughs) She did not. But guess what? We didn't get kicked out of our house. We didn't end up on the streets. I'm not living under a bridge downtown. Fear will take us down all those roads. But when we confess and then we put it down and we stand up, it says, blessed is he, this is Psalm 32, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him and and in whose spirit is no deceit. Why are we blessed? Then we bless. And then finally, and this is where change happens. After I confess and then I put it down, Now I begin to experience something that's greater than me, the power of the Holy Spirit. uh, This is Psalm 32. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Let's stop there. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. Who's singing those songs? God, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is singing a song of deliverance over me. And if God is singing a song of deliverance, is deliverance coming? I'd like to think there probably isn't much higher authority than that, all right? And then he goes on to say, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. In verse 11 it goes, join the song. You sing now. And it's crazy But love is the most transformative thing in our world. And we're being invited through repentance to participate in that. Jack Miller, one of my mentor pastors, said, the walk of a a Christian is a one-two step. The first step is, oh, no, I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. Oh, wow, I'm so much more loved than I could possibly imagine. Oh, no, I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. Oh, no, I'm more loved than I could possibly imagine. And when I'm honest with myself, And I step into that place of going, that's brutal honesty. God, I don't believe in you. Oh, your love is singing a song of deliverance over me. I will join that song. Oh, Lord. Oh, yes. Oh, Lord. Oh, yes. And what it creates is is a life of repentance for us as believers, and we're about to do that. You know, maturity, I'll just say this, maturity isn't necessarily that I'm getting better. Maturity oftentimes is noticed by the the space between my sin and repentance. That sometimes I can see sin from a week ago, a few days ago, but as we begin to walk a life of repentance, we begin to see it more, more readily in the moment. And in the moment, we go, oh, Lord, there's that shame message again, that I'm letting control what I believe. Lord, forgive me for that. Ah, you love me. I hear that song of deliverance. 
oh, Lord, forgive me. I just wanted to exaggerate that truth because my reputation is so important to me. I don't want anybody to think poorly of me. And I made up stories about me that aren't really true. Yeah, it's lying. Oh, Lord, you love me, song of deliverance. What's the power of change? God is the power of change. What is repentance? Putting ourselves in his hands. 